So whether a prophet, a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist, a worship leader, a builder, a Sunday school teacher, whatever God has gifted us to be, we all need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to be equipped by God for the work and hone those skills, get them better, but use them for the glory of God and for the good of others. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So tonight we're looking at Exodus 31 and 32, and I titled the overall study, If You Will Not Forgive. And these words uh, coming from the mouth of Moses to God, and really we find that God does a work in the heart of Moses when he says these words. Moses was not challenging God's authority, but I believe that God was working in Moses' heart in such a way that we find that someone who did not want to be Israel's deliverer got to the point to where he was willing to have his name blotted out of the Lord's book of life if God refused to continue to go on with Israel. And so it's not that Moses, with these words, if you will not forgive, was threatening God, but I believe it's really exposing the heart of Moses as the spiritual leader that God knew he could be when he called him to deliver the children of Israel. So verses 12 through 17, we find a perpetual covenant actually closing out most of this chapter, fairly short chapter in Exodus 31, reminding them of the Sabbath. But I want you to note that the Lord calls it my Sabbath in verse 13. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Verse 13, speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So before God sent Moses down from the mountain, Moses has been up there for 40 days and 40 nights. He might be at this point getting a little hungry, thinking, Lord, it's time for dinner, isn't it? It's been 40 days. So before he sent Moses down the mountain, he reminded him of the fourth commandment, which was way back in Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I would assume that 
the Israelis that came out of the Egyptian captivity had never really truly known a day's rest. But here God said, this is a sign between me and you that should be kept for all generations. That the people of God would also rest and be refreshed. And we need refreshment in that sense of being able to regroup, rethink, and start a new week again. But to spend time with the Lord, uh, to wait upon the Lord, to anticipate in a week where we might spend the week just toiling and laboring, trying to get the things done that's on the schedule in our lives, to take that one day out of the week, to take a break, to wait upon the Lord, to want to hear from the Lord, sometimes can give us fresh perspective that gets us into the next week. So God twice called keeping the Sabbath a sign between himself and the children of Israel. He said it was going to be kept perpetually throughout all their generations. So important was the law of the Sabbath that Sabbath breakers were to be put to death. And today, no one that I know of are put to death for breaking the Sabbath laws today. But many Jews and some Christians do strive to keep this perpetual covenant with God. Sadly, in Jesus's day, the religious rulers turned the Sabbath into a day of tradition, obligation, and burdens. And it was not a day of rest for the people of God. It was not a day of rest and refreshing and worship. Perhaps this is why God said to the religious rulers in Mark 2, verses 27 and 28, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. As they were complaining to Jesus because his disciples were snacking on some wheat kernels, nothing major. They weren't actually harvesting. They were just pulling a few heads of wheat crushing them in their hand and, and blowing the shaft away to chew on the substance of that wheat. But they were accused of doing work on the Sabbath for doing that. And Jesus responded that the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. So as Christians, I do not believe that we are bound to the Sabbath day. But Paul did teach us this in Romans fourteen five and 6. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. Every day is the Lord's day. And we may have one day in the week that we make special to the Lord, but Really, Paul talking about the conviction of the individual. But as believers in Jesus Christ, whether we're worshiping or working, we are to observe every day as unto the Lord. Every day is the Lord's day. That's because it is the Lord who sanctifies, who consecrates, who sets us apart for his glory. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls you is faithful and will also do it. The Lord sanctifies us 
through the blood of Jesus Christ, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He empowers us, our whole spirit, soul, and body, that we might serve the Lord. And seeing that Jesus has sanctified us, we, in turn, should live for his glory. So verse 18, closing out this chapter, Exodus 31, in one verse, he says, And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, God gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Moses' session with God comes to a close, 40 days and 40 nights up on the mount there with the Lord. And God gave him two stone tablets that were written upon by the very finger of God. Today, God writes his story on our hearts, according to Hebrews ten sixteen. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. So God is still writing, but now he writes it on the tablets of our hearts, puts his commandments in our very minds. But as God had equipped Bizael, Holalib, and the gifted artisans, he continues to equip believers today. It has been said that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips those whom he calls. And I can attest to that. First Peter 4, verses 10 through 11. As each one of you receive a gift, minister to it one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In other words, if God gifts us, then we are to use those giftings for his glory and for the good of the brothers and sisters and those who do not even believe. It is the power of God's Holy Spirit that equips us in this life. And we have the promise of God in Acts 1.8 that says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So whether a prophet, a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist, a worship leader, a builder, a Sunday school teacher... Whatever God has gifted us to be, we all need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to be equipped by God for the work and hone those skills and get them better, but use them for the glory of God and for the good of others. I think personally that is such an important part of the body of Christ and the church, coming together to work together, to serve one another, to be that for the body of Christ, to take the weight off of individuals, sometimes who are overwhelmed by the service that they do for the Lord, and to come alongside others. Sometimes it's training up others uh, to get them into that place of coaching or mentoring. But so important for the body of Christ to work in this way. God equips us. He calls us. He calls us to work for his glory. 
So chapter 32, not a beautiful chapter, but a truthful chapter. While Moses is up on the mountain 40 days, experiencing this wonderful, glorious time with the Lord, receiving from the Lord all these things that the God would have for the children of Israel, the delay of 40 days and 40 nights down in the valley turned into a great depravity in verses 1. In verse 1 it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So again, Moses, he's in a good place. He's in the presence of God. But while that is happening, the children of Israel fell into an inglorious depravity against the Lord. The saddest part, that after the people cried out to Aaron to make them gods that might go before them, Aaron participated in their rebellion. I was reading a commentator today who was trying to make excuses for Aaron. I don't want to make excuses for him. It seems like he was taking the people down a path that they should not be going. And you can maybe read into a little of this. The people said, make us gods, plural. Aaron would say, here is the God, singular. But we cannot get around the fact that in chapter 24, Moses, before he ascended up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, he came down and he spoke to the people. He shared with the people the things of God and gave them the commandments of God, which they said that they would do. So Aaron knew what the Lord wanted. So the children of Israel, they had agreed to the Ten Commandments when Moses related them to the people. Exodus 24, 3. All the words of the Lord had said, we will do. So Moses even wrote out God's commandment in what is called the Book of the Covenant, Exodus 24. And then he read the book in the hearing of the people, Exodus 20, verses 3 through 5, part of that commandment, no doubt the Ten Commandments. Now God would give Moses the copy written by the hand of God, but Moses had already relayed these to the people of Israel. And the two of those commandments, Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 24, you shall not make for yourself any carved image. So they should know better at this point. And for a second time, Exodus 24, 3, all that the Lord had said, we will do and be obedient. They twice said, we're going to obey the Lord. But their commitment could not last for a mere 40 days. I don't know, I've seen people, uh, and maybe I've been guilty of it myself, that my c commitment can't even go 24 hours sometimes. So, Lord, I'm going to do this, and, and I fail quickly. That, I don't know if we can get too harsh on them. For what they did, though, they went way beyond what was allowable. So Aaron said, verses 2 through 4, Break off your golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. 
So all the people broke off their golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand. He fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a golden calf. I threw the golden in there. I know it's gold. But and made a molden calf. And they said, this is your God. They said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So I don't know if the they included Aaron at this point, but it's a singular God, El, not Elohim, plural. They had asked for the gods, and now they, this is your God, fashioning this golden calf with the people proclaiming, it as the God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. And Aaron even went on to build an altar to proclaim a feast. Aaron saw it. He built an altar before them. He proclaimed a feast on the next day, a feast to the Lord. So Yahweh, YHWH here, used in Scripture, verse 5. So some commentators saying that Aaron was trying to direct the people back to worshiping the Lord. But it doesn't sound like a... A Lord's type worship service, as on the next day they rose early in the morning, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. So that line, they rose up to play, can speak of it became a very lustful and sexual time in the camp. Acts seven forty one, Stephen said. When they made the calf in those days, they offered sacrifices to the idol. He called it what it was. It was an idol. And they rejoiced over the work of their hands. I think far too often we might rejoice over the work of our hands as well. There is always a danger there. When God delivered Israel from Egypt, he gave them everything necessary for life. But Israel rejected his rule over them. Therefore, they forced Aaron to make them these gods of gold, offering sacrifices, rejoicing over the work of their own hands. And Paul used this in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 7, saying, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So Paul used this account from Exodus 32 as an example to the church in Corinth and to all the church of Christ, saying, this is an example of what we are not to do. So 7 through 14, the Lord said to Moses, go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molding calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that had brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Verse 10, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? With great power and with a mighty hand, 
Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn then from your fierce wrath. Relent from this harm to your people. Verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he inserted the word Israel here, the name given to Jacob by God. Your servants, whom you swore by your own self and said, I will multiply your descendants as the star of heaven. In all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So reminding the Lord of his own promises, and they had not yet inherited the promised land. So the Lord relented from the harm which he had said he would do to his people. This is not Moses trying to convince God not to destroy Israel. This is really a beautiful picture of an intercessor who, Moses, appealing to God on behalf of the wayward people. God seemed ready to allow his wrath to come upon the children of Israel. He described them as a stiff-necked people. And even though God said he would destroy Israel and make a great nation of Moses, Moses interceded in behalf of the nation by reminding God how God had delivered Israel from Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand, verse 11. Then Moses acknowledged how bad it would look to the other nations if God then destroyed Israel there in the wilderness and the mountains. And finally, Moses looked back to God's everlasting covenant that he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it says, so the Lord relented. So what does it mean when God relents? This Hebrew word means to sigh, to breathe out strongly, or to be sorry. Whenever we read of God relenting, it's always because of man's repentance. So as parents, I think we can understand this Hebrew word for relent for those of us who are parents or maybe you have gone through this in your relationships with others and you see something that happens, it's so hard, it's difficult, and you just kind of, you breathe out this, oh, comes from the gut, comes from the heart. You know you got to deal with something, but it's just kind of, wrecking you a little bit on the inside. That's a little bit of the sense behind this word. G. Campbell Morgan said of this, So when a man turns from or repents of his wickedness, God turns from his proposed judgment, which in itself was love-inspired. So when man repents, God turns from the judgment that he has Announced, And just like us, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, according to the word of God. But if we repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ, then we have life in the name of Jesus Christ. Jonah 4.2. So Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah just knew, Lord, this is your character. You are 
a God that is abundant with loving kindness. You are slow to anger. You are gracious. You are merciful. You relent from doing harm. So although Aaron and the children of Israel had already turned away from the Lord God who had delivered them from Egypt and sustained them in the wilderness, Moses had not. Therefore, Moses interceded on behalf of his people. He recounted the very nature of God and the promises of God. And I think it's good personally to pray back the promises of God, not because we're trying to change the mind of God, but I think when we pray back scripture to the Lord and the promises of God to the Lord, it helps us to have the mind of Christ, just as Moses had for his own rebellious people. So Lord, we too are people who are prone to sin, but your grace is big. Your mercy is great. Forgive us, Lord, I pray. Help us to serve one another. Be filled with your spirit. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you. That his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.